John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed Omnibus Addenda, Volume 30, Entry 431.PS8403, Certificate Number 27603, The European Starling. Now this was our very first show. December of 2017. So it... You know, it pains me to say that in our very first show, almost every single fact was wrong. <laughs> wow. Because, you know, luckily we had not buried this uh, entry in the earth just yet. Right. Uh, earlier this month, the New York Times published some new work by, I mean, this is what bothers me, John McNeil Miller, an assistant professor of English at Allegheny College. All of that does not check out. New scholarship by Dr. Miller and a student, Lauren Fugate, uh, that basically challenge the entire lore about starlings as an invasive species in the Americas. They're saying that starlings came over with the Vikings yeah, the, to the Vinland. Pil- the pilgrims had them <laughs> under their buckled hats. What is the what is their new claim that a starling a couple got blown off course in prehistoric times? I mean, this really isn't everything you know is wrong mind blower. First of all, they say there is no evidence. So there is no such thing as a European star. Starlings do not in fact <laughs> exist. You remember the the story that Eugene Shifflin was such a this eccentric was such a big fan of Shakespeare that he was releasing all the birds found in Shakespeare into. Central Park, hoping they would catch on in the Americas. Right. In fact, that appears to have never have happened. Did he exist as a man? He did, but this idea that he was a Shakespeare fan was introduced in 1948 by a Pulitzer-winning nature writer named Edwin Way Teal, who apparently, you know, these guys w- could never find us an Earth source, a contemporary source, saying that Shifflin loved Shakespeare. This all appeared to start in the late 40s. Huh. And so when they went back through the, through the, um, the Shifflin papers... They the Shifflin Papers. The Shifflin Papers. I love that Netflix when they, series. When they smuggled them out of uh, Panama or the Pentagon or whatever, it turns out that he did twice release 40 pairs of starlings, this part in Central Park. <laughs> this part of the story is true. Okay. But he appears to have no affinity for Shakespeare at all. He just did this because he had 40 starlings and he was like, get these starlings out of my house. It was quite common back then for big pro- for there to be big projects of, let's introduce the widespread European birds because Europe has the good Right. Biomes and every culture, and that extends to birds even. Like, Let's if the opera's better the, there, we should definitely have their songbirds. For sure. Let's introduce the Himalayan blackberry. What could go wrong? 
So, uh, so Teal's uh, finding that Schiffel was a Shakespeare fan appears to have just been created out of the whole cloth based on um, Teal reading about a Central Park Shakespeare garden that had been started mm-hmm. um, also in the 19th century to introduce all of the Shakespearean flowers and plants to Manhattan. Was Teal drunk, or did he have an ulterior motive? Is this Teal's like a moon a, landing thing? Teal's got a Pulitzer. I mean, he should really know better than this. Yeah, but um, it's, a, it's a good story. He, in fact, it apparently did not look up the year in which the Shakespeare Garden was planted. The Shakespeare Garden actually uh, was planted 20 years after Shifflin's Starling experiments, which would make it very difficult for them to have inspired him. So g- given all that in mind and the total lack of evidence— it now seems clear that Shifflin, A, did not care about Shakespeare, and B, did not introduce the Starling to America because there are many, many uh, attestations of previous Starling releases elsewhere in the country from New England to Oregon, I believe, um, many of which had led to endemic populations. So well, by the time Shivlin is doing his thing, Starlings have already been released, bulk released many times all over the continent and are catching on. Now that you say it, I do remember it being kind of an Anglo-Saxon tradition tradition that you uh, carry around a mating pair of Starlings inside your waistcoat. Just in case. Yeah, so this, could, this was a thing popular back in England just as a... As a fertility device. I guess by 1876, wild, wild starlings have been caught in Massachusetts, not near any mass release. So They were just coming out of Anglo-Saxon uh, waistcoats. They, had, they were coming out of holes in the ground. They coming had flown, out of pilgrim hats. They had flown through the earth and emerged on the <laughs> other side. And then finally, the third part of the episode was just kind of about the, the deleterious, the, the effects of, of an invasive species like starlings. I would say deleterious. Is it deleterious? Uh, I don't even think either is a word. I just made it up. I know it's not. I know it doesn't rhyme with Demetrius, John. There's no way. How is there no way? Because it's Del- got an extra syllable. Del- Del- uh, I said it right. Deleterious. Deleterious. Okay. I have to take back every time I've said deleterious. You've never said it on the show. Although there is an upcoming show where you say Ephesius instead of es- Ephesus, and yeah. I just let it ride because I don't. Okay. I- I'm not going to get the letters. I've been saying Ephesius. Since I was 14. I mean, they are Ephesians. You'd yeah. think they would be from Ephesius. Yeah. Just like Canadians are from Canada. <laughs> yes. And, and people from Czechia are from Czechia. And Albanians Czechians. are from Albany. There you go. Uh, so, but it turns out, according to, this, according to some new uh, research... Do they say research or research? I'm going to start saying research. It seems, okay. more, it seems more British. Yeah, it does. It's elegant, right? Research. Apparently, all of the folklore about starlings killing off other bird populations is greatly exaggerated. Oh, also not true. The only bird that I guess has been well demonstrated to actually be observed suffering from starling uh, out competition, nest yeah depredation or a depredation, depredation, as you probably say, yes, are the yellow-bellied sapsuckers. So, unless you're a particular fan of the most hilarious of all birds, the most. Yeah, I, I think so. A yellow-bellied sapsucker. Unless you like humorously named woodpeckers, um, it appears that starlings are not the problem. Starling populations are also way down as well during the same time period in which other bird populations have gotten worryingly low, which means humans are blaming starlings for humans' own misdeeds. Well, let's not say humans. Let's say you. 
You are blaming starlings. Are you talking? Or you were once blaming. Starlings. No, no, no. I'm saying humans are the ones who's uh, who's, oh, who's who are killing yellow who are killing, who are killing all the other songbirds with their habitat destruction and uh, you know the acid rain and the vaping and whatnot. I have to say that a yellow-bellied sapsucker does not have a distinctive yellow belly. It has a red crest and a kind of elegant black series of black stripes. Do enough woodpeckers have red crests that you have to pick out a very secondary feature? Yes, a like lot a of woodpeckers. A slightly yellowish belly. Do have uh, red crests. And, and strangely, yellow-bellied sapsuckers go all the way up into Canada, all up and down everything uh, east of the Mississippi, but none here in Washington. I could have sworn I've seen them, but I saw other woodpeckers that look, look alike. So we, I've been mocking yellow-bellied sapsuckers for having yellow bellies and sucking sap all these years, and they just look like regular... T- I would never mock a bird for sucking sap. Of all the things birds could eat, um, sap seems like the most delicious. Like, if you could have maple syrup or a plate full of bugs or grubs, you're going to eat the maple syrup. But my feeling about yellow-bellied sapsuckers is that they also don't suck sap. They are trying to eat bugs just like any like any other woodpecker. Like any woodpecker. Am you'd I think, wrong with you that? You would think they would not have evolved um, woodpecker eating habits unless they were also getting out bugs and grubs from under bark. There is a freaking woodpecker in my little woods behind my house that is driving me up a tree. Cause driving he, you up his tree to kill him. Yeah, he starts at dawn. And it sounds like a machine gun. Yeah. And I'm like, enough, enough. Take a break. They're so cute when you see one in a park, and then they're so awful when you have. We had one next door to us, and uh, when we lived up north, I went. I went the other day and stood beneath the tree he was in, and he's so high up there, and I'm just shouting at him, "Stop it! Get a job other than this job." The Times also interviews biologists who say that the stuff about them spreading E. coli uh, via, you know, uh, uh, eating cattle grain and whatnot is also not true, because in places that have successfully curtailed uh, starling populations, E. coli outbreaks in livestock do not appear to go down. So I guess what I'm saying is if you have been around with Omnibus long enough to have listened to the first mm-hmm. entry, it is now totally wrong. It's a bizarre mm-hmm. entry. Everything we say, the opposite thing mm-hmm. is true. Every other Omnibus is 100% correct, including right. the uh, the whiskey episode. And whatever other episode I did that people were so mad about. There's a whiskey the, episode? Well, what was the one with the, with the where all the whiskey people were mad at me? Oh, uh, the whiskey the, bottle, the, the expensive the one. The Maclemore. Maclemore whiskey. They, people were mad about that. And then there was, there was one other that people were really mad that I got it all wrong because I don't care. No, that's not true. I desperately care about everything that we say on the show. Because if we... If people didn't yell at us in funny ways about the show, we would not have these addenda episodes. That's right. Uh, did you know that the yellow-bellied sapsucker has a cousin woodpecker called the hairy woodpecker? <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> the hairy woodpecker. I I definitely do not want you to ever say those words. Thank you to Pat and all the others who pointed out uh, that episode one is now deprecated. If you have not listened to that one, uh, don't listen to this uh, instead. That's also very early on in the show, and we were probably younger and funnier, but still, resist the temptation. Yeah, I wonder, did we get the Tesseract right? Has anybody ever yelled at us about that? Uh, the New York Times is going to debunk the Tesseract next week. Yeah, and then the water wars come after that. 
Entry 145.1T0515. Certificate number 38501. Bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. Are you aware of the, uh, do you remember the, recall the omnibus listener who uh, put, is putting together a D&D campaign, uh, I think following this episode, built around an omnibus-centric world? So I have a, f- a friend who has come to me over the past year several times saying, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons. She's a nerd. I want to play Dungeons and Dragons, she says, but I don't know anybody. I don't have any friends. And I know that you know nerds, uh, which I I don't claim to know any nerds, but she believes I do know nerds. You're famous for it. And you're she, always hanging out with me. Yeah, and she said, you're right. John Hodgman. And she said, can you, I, she didn't even say can you. She said, I want you to introduce me to some online nerds who will teach me how to play Dungeons and Dragons. Because she really believes, and it's true, that she would be fun. It would be fun for her. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I do know some nerds that are starting a Dungeons and Dragons game. And I, and I directed her to this campaign, to this campaign. And she wrote back churlishly and said, I don't want to play a game about your omnibus. I don't, you know, like that, that just feels weird. Like I would be, I, do I have to listen to Omnibus? Do I have to? And I was like, I'm sure it's just a Dungeons and Dragons game. Yeah. I'm sure you don't. It's just a world building hook. I think. Yeah. You don't have to know anything about the Tesseract or the Jefferson Bible. And so anyway, now she's put a bunch of conditions on the nerds that I'm supposed to introduce her to. It's all very frustrating. It's why basically, um, I, I basically feel like Samson in this situation and, my hair is being cut in order to throw me to the. Is is your hair in this case the uh, the success of your your successful podcast? Yes, my success. That's where your strength comes from. That it does, it does some of it, a large part of it. Anyway, so I want the D and D people to. So we are zero for one in trying to get somebody to sign up for MJ's D and D campaign. I I need MJ to reach out to me in order to facilitate introducing my. Churlish lady friend to this game. I am forwarding you this letter. I cannot CC churlish lady friend unless that is her email address. Is she churlish lady friend at, at gmail.com? If somebody doesn't have churlish lady friend at gmail.com, they will after this episode. MJ has run a couple games so far of his campaign for uh, futurelings. It's set in a world where uh, it's set in a kind of dystopian future world where the omnibus is the only remnant of civilization sure. left. Believable. There's been some kind of event. Uh, unspecified event that has ended society. So the only thing that survives from our world is various episodes of Omnibus. Futurelings are spread out in settlements. Uh, this is interesting. I, I, I had not been following his campaign. Um, English is not the common language of Futurelings. It's kind of a dead Latin-like language. The premier Omnibus collection is in the large city of Dogon, because we did an episode about the Dogon of Africa, mm-hmm, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, the head of that holder's organization is, has the title Van Beek, and there's been a recent transfer of power, some drama around the uh, the inheritance of the Van Beek title. I feel like there's a lot of spoiler alerts here. I don't think any of this is going to affect gameplay. Okay. But, you know, there's mentions of kudzu and other kinds of, uh, of omnibus. Um, there's different camps, one of which wants to bring back everything that they've heard about an omnibus, including the bad stuff, including oh. slavery and capitalism. Okay. And then there's some other uh, less evil 
uh, open access group. Well, maybe not evil, maybe just amoral rather than immoral. You're saying you're saying wanting to bring back slavery is merely amoral. This is a little, little problematic. Well, it depends on what you mean by slavery. Indentured servitude, maybe. The, the third game is coming up. Um, they're inspired by the oblique strategies episode. The third game will center on the Eno <laughs> catastrophe, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> which is what it's like when I try to make my kids listen to Brian Eno records. Well, and that's why uh, he's no longer a clue in every other New York Times crossword puzzle because of his uh, having been canceled. Has he, has he been canceled from the crossword? No, I'm afraid he was in it last week. Um, so, uh, yeah, this sounds like a lot of fun. Um, it, this gets mentioned sometimes on the Facebook future links page, but if you're listening now and you do not follow the Facebook's future links page and you think a zoom D and D based on, uh, uh, omnibus, uh, branding, omnibus look and feel might be a fun role playing experiment. Um, yeah, go to the Facebook page and check out, um, and try to track down MJ Wu. He is looking for new players. He wants to keep this going, and and um, you know he needs he needs some new players, John. I think I think adoption has been a little slow. Well, I'm going to right this very moment send this on to my friend, and I'm going to CC. You know, it's going to be MJ and my friend are the only two on this email thread, and I'm going to I'm going to force the issue. I'm going to make it impossible to say no. Move me to BCC. Bye. <laughs> Entry 551.ex1407. Certificate number 49472. Der Grosser. We like to see omnibus topics in the news. Sometimes mail trucks, but sometimes other vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, did Jeffrey sent us a link to an article about a uh, Mercedes Maybach, which was kind of the successor of yep. whatever the actual name for the car is that became Der Grosser. Right. Um... A $670,000 vehicle owned by a Russian oligarch, which Italy seized. Yeah, Italy. $670,000 for a Mercedes. It's crazy. This one is uh, customized to withstand machine gun and grenade attacks. Every billionaire needs to be protected from grenade attacks. Honestly, your old uh, Mercury or whatever it was... Couldn't that probably withstand a grenade attack? For the most part. It seems pretty solid. It feels to me like... You could be protected from grenade attacks all day, but all they have to do is grenade the bridge you're driving over. Exactly. And then your huge, heavy Mercedes falls to the bottom of a ravine. I mean, you have to be on a bridge for this to happen. Everybody goes over bridges every day. They don't even realize it. I mean, I wonder if you could I wonder if you could do harm to the inhabitants of a Mercedes just by yeah, blowing up the car without penetrating it. I mean, no, flip you, it upside if, down. If you can roll a Mercedes, you might kill a, a chubby oligarch. Yes, right. Yes. Well, yeah. Just make the Mercedes stop real fast. Like, sure. Like, what if you just like built a brick wall and then directed them to it using it lures? It doesn't say you can't shoot out the tires. No, lures, I bet they have run like, flat are, tires. are you Wiley Coyote in this scenario? Yeah. What if you paint a tunnel? <laughs> <laughs> on the side of a mountain in Italy. Zactamunda. Mer- this is funny Maybe. to me. Mercedes has said it can weather two grenades exploding at the same time. Now, that's uh, an unusual scenario. Two, two grenades explode in one time. Because really, I mean, how many hands does the thrower have to have to pop the yeah. two pins at once? That's my Native American name, you know. And then, and then t- they have both have to get to the car at the same time. It really seems like a little bit of overkill. If you had big hands, you could pull... 
the pins out of two grenades mm. at once and throw them with your other hand. Are you hold so you're holding the two grenades in one hand kind of like somebody trying to hold two apples. Yeah, right? right, exactly. With you're, the other hand you pull two pins. Pull two pins. You probably have to ma- pull two pins. move it to each move one to each hand again and then throw at the same time and then but even if they were to go off at the same time is what I'm saying. Yes. The Mercedes wouldn't even mind. One on each side. What if they both were inside the wheel well? I bet you two grenades tucked inside the wheel well would do more damage than they're saying. Also, the windows are 10 centimeters thick. 10 centimeters what, thick. What, that's like four inches, right? That's pretty thick. Yeah, I mean, can you even see through four-inch glass? Four inches? That that's can't be safe. Crazy. That can't be safe. Anyway, I don't believe any of this, but Italy now has one, and... Uh, what are they going to do What's with it? What's this guy's name? Uh, Alisher Usmanov is not. Uh, so uh, He's just riding around in a regular armored Mercedes. He's taking Uber everywhere. So keep in mind, uh, um, grosser ride, ride driving dictators, um, you know you don't have to be scared about two grenades going off once. You just have to worry about government impoundment. Yeah, you have to worry about a tow truck. Don't leave your car in Italy is another thing. His tow truck is his Achilles heel. He left it double parked. <laughs> Entry 823.PS5707. Certificate number 25729. Nadia's theme. What I love is when there's firsthand testimonial. Ding, 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 ding. Do, 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 do. What is the firsthand testimonial? Did we hear from Nadia Comaneci? Nadia Comaneci herself writes to say that she did, in fact, get a one on that routine. People mm. assumed it was a 10, <laughs> but she really screwed up. She played it off. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, really selling a foul yeah. in basketball or something. She was like, yep, there it is. No, a listener named John was delighted to hear the movie Bless the Beasts and the Children come up because he was living in Prescott, Arizona in the early 70s. When the movie shot there, uh, a call for local boys went out in the city of his birth, and I think uh, possibly John was too young, but his two older brothers were the same age, and they played, if you recall, the movie is set at some kind of, a, what, desert camp or boys something. Camp, boys yeah. camp. So some two of the campers in the movie are played by his brothers. One is a stand-in for the blonde kid in the opening, I guess, uh, because mm-hmm. the star couldn't ride a horse and his brother could. Mm-hmm. So uh, his other brother played part of the gang that threw the boy into the pond. I don't really. Wow. But apparently his, and Bill, do you know Bill Mummy from Lost in Space is one of the boys in this movie? No, I did not. If, I looked at a picture of him in the early 70s and he is at a very awkward age. An age when children should not be allowed to appear in movies. Uh-huh. If you're a sitcom regular at this age, you should have to be written out for two years <laughs> to go to college while your face clears up. He, yeah, it's. He's he's, he's gawky. He's gawky. Yeah. He's gawky and gangly. Um, his, he says his brothers both still have the sh- the shirts, the Bless the Beast and the children uh, children shirts that the kids were given as like a crew gift. How cool! And he says if he uh, if he can track one down, he will send it to us. So now I'm living in hope that we will get an authentic authentic cast gift. Bless the Beast and the Children t-shirt from 1971. Oh, that would go in a frame here in the bunker as, like, maybe one of our most treasured possessions. Oh, wait. He sent us pictures of them. On the front, it just, it's a 70s graphic tee, bright yellow. There's, like, a BC in a weird hand-grown font on the front. Or, no, on the back. The front. (laughs) Beasts children? Beasts children, I guess. (laughs) And on the back, a kind of a sad Indian head. 
I don't know what the relation of that. Well, to that the must have is. been the camp ma- mascot. Maybe, or you saw somebody littering. Uh, it's not clear. Mm. Um, but we at least have pictures of uh, of these important bits of Hollywood lore. There's also a bit of a roller coaster at the end of John's email. He says, "I enjoyed this entry. Not that I don't enjoy all entries." However, <laughs> well, it says, "Not that I don't enjoy all entries," and okay. then he appears to have rethought. But instead of hitting the back key, he just said, "Well, maybe I don't enjoy all entries." <laughs> the end. Well, then keep up the good work. It's a, he's really like Whoa. a, he's really like kind of like a withholding parent just yeah. wants to keep us off balance. Maybe I don't enjoy all entries. Hard to say. John. Please continue to, <laughs> please continue to try to please me or else. But and after he sent us this cool t-shirt picture, which we'll put on the website, I think he should. Why don't you send me the cool t-shirt picture so I can play along? Uh, I did not have it yesterday when I went through the email, but he sent a follow-up. And here you go. And the other note, sorry, I've totally forgot there was something else. You know, we talked, the whole point of that show is that the, this, um, this movie theme gets repurposed weirdly as a sports theme and then a soap opera theme. Do you know the story of the tar sequence from Cool Hand Luke? Uh, a tar sequence. It's the, I guess it's the chain gang working on a highway, you yeah. know, putting down asphalt on a highway. Right. The music for that movie is by Lalo Schifrin. Um, probably best known for the Mission Impossible theme, but a you know a Argentine pianist who's composed a lot of classical music and other film scores. Here is the tar sequence. Well, let's listen to it. But then this part here. Does this sound familiar? This sounds part, like '70s chase music that could be in any episode episode of Kojak. It's pretty generic, generic TV music. In fact, uh, it was I think WABC, I think a New York ABC News affiliate decided that this was the music they needed for Action News. Yeah, okay. Every, and you can really hear that, right? The ding 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 ding. And other stations loved it. Something about local news, nightly newsness, was really conveyed by Paul Newman fixing a highway. And so it became. It became like a de facto official news theme for ABC affiliates all over the country that they were just borrowing this cue from Cool Hand Luke. And it got to the point where many years later, people would watch Cool Hand Luke and friends of Lalo Schifrin's would call and be like, hey, I just, Cool Hand Luke was shown on TV and I had to watch it, but why did you use the the nightly action news music? Why is Eyewitness News the music for the for the asphalt sequence? You can't just steal that. And did he end up getting royalties from Action News? Apparently not. Apparently, in his interview, he says it's, it was just work for hire. So Warner owned all the rights. So it was very easy for companies to license them. I mean, I guess I think he did not have to give permission. I think by ASCAP rules, maybe he has to get royalties, and maybe he's done very well by it. But no, without his permission, Warner Media just said, "Sure, use that." Wow. Um, and so Todd was the first to point out that uh, this little bit of Cool Hand Luke music is kind of its own naughtiest theme to '70s and '80s kids. Cool, Hand Luke. No one can eat 50 eggs. Yeah, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Entry 453.EX1524. 
certificate number 25939. Fenta. This may have already been on one of the um, addenda shows, but we talked a lot about um, the soda versus pop versus Coke mm. regional. We sure did. Vocabulary. I feel in like America. we've talked about that on about a dozen episodes. And then I think in the addenda show, we talked about how we looked at some research to show that the regional differences are fading. In fact, older mm-hmm. generations will still say Coke in the South and pop in the Midwest, but really it's all kind of unifying due to our new monoculture. And I am part of that older generation. You're going to keep saying pop till you die. I am. And every time I do it, it irritates somebody. I swear to you, someone is always irritated. On your deathbed, you're going to be like, give me a pop. All I want is And the doctor is going to be like, you mean a soda? No, a pop. Weirdo. Uh, Steve, who I believe is, who he implies is from Boston, sent <laughs> us. <laughs> Why do you doubt? Well, Steve. He now that I read about it, he doesn't say he's from Boston. He just Did seems, he say he, just he seems, went to college in the Northeast? He just seems really racist. Oh, No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Boston. I'm just kidding, Steve, and, and Bostonians. Does he not have any street signs? He sent us a link to a, a trend article about how the Bostonian trend of referring to all kinds of soft drink as tonic mm-hmm. is going away. Did you know there were parts of the greater Boston metropolitan area, Southie and... and Dorchester, am I saying that right? Dorchester. Dorchester, West Roxbury, where everyone said, I'll have a tonic. And and like a grape tonic yeah. or a Coke what kind tonic, of tonic or something? What kind of tonic? I'll have a Coke. You know, I, I think interchangeably from how Coke yeah. is used for all flavors in the South. Yeah, right. Or I mean, when I say I'll have a pop, I don't then not understand that you can clarify that. But this is going away. Only 22% of... Uh, High school-aged Bostonians said that they knew that tonic meant soda, oh. and most of those said, yeah, that's what Grandpa says. Oh, it's or a Whitey the- Bulger thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what Whitey Bulger called it. Yeah. <laughs> Nearly all of them associated it with Whitey Bulger. Ah, that's Whitey Bulger. <laughs> so it's not just a soda pop Coke map. There would be a little tiny island in Saudi of tonic people. Yeah, you get those every once in a while. Somewhere, you know, somewhere outside of St. Louis, they all say like fart juice or something, and you're like, what? And I think many of them don't. I guess now they all know, but like 30 years ago, none of them would have known. It's weird because everybody in their high school called, uh, you know, the space between the sidewalk and the curve, they called that the. the banana strip or, uh-huh. or something stupid. What a trough. It's called the banana strip. And they would be shocked to hear that the rest of the... I noticed this on a, serving a Mormon mission. You really realize how many of these kids from Mesa or Idaho Falls or whatever it is do not know that their weird high school slang is not universal. And I would be like, wait, what did you just say? They'd have some word for cutting class or for shoplifting or something. It's weird that in that in some ways in America, regionalisms are disappearing. Like... Everyone calls it chicken fried steak now. Nobody calls it the flat tire or the... Wait, there used to be local No, I'm names? just making that oh, up. Okay. But, uh, but at the same time, there are new regionalisms in America, like some places where everyone believes the last election was faked and other places where no one believes it. And, uh, and so regionalism, I guess... In like, some parts of America, uh, vaccination is pronounced hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> In some parts of America, Biden is pronounced Brandon. Like yeah. the long I turning to a short A, very rare. In, oh my god! Uh, in pronunciation. So I was at a Mariners game the other day, pretty early in the season, 
and it was a very boring game, but the audience was, you know, the audience, the crowd was, was figuring out things to cheer about. And, uh, you know, every once in a while there'd be somebody at bat that, that everybody'd get excited about. And at one point, some ding dongs up in the stands tried to get, let's go Brandon going (laughs) in Seattle, in Seattle. And it was, you know, it was clearly like four frat boys all sitting together. Let's go. And the crowd appeared to just start yelling. Like just the, the volume in the stadium went way up. Like they didn't, they weren't just trying to drown out the word Brandon. They just started. They were just like, peas and carrots, peas and carrots. (laughs) And these guys got drowned out. And I can only, I can only imagine that it was just the crowd responding with like, it wasn't boo. It was just like the volume went up. But I have to say, hearing it, even just this tiny little, I, uh, it, uh, it, like I got mad. I was prepared. I was prepared. Fortunately, when I go to baseball games, I always take a hockey stick. Uh, it's just, you know, one of my like quirks. And I was ready to go go after him. Do they let you in with a hockey stick? Oh yeah, oh, they're like, I'm gonna, hey John, I'm going to catch a foul ball with this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah sure you are, buddy. Well, hey, while we're killing time talking about the Mariners, what yeah. do you think about them replacing Louis Louis with uh, with Macklemore? So, so I was at the game, and we get up for the se- seven uh, seventh inning stretch. For and, decades, by the way, the Mariners have played Louis Louis by a local band. Well, and it is after the seventh. It's inning absolutely like. Cannon. So we get to the end of uh, of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. And, you know, when they play Louie Louie, it's one of the only opportunities I have to do the frog, right? Like, and I'm... Can't you do the frog? Can't you no, do the frog while you're beating eggs in the kitchen? Because you need a little... You need that beat. You need that mm. that killer Louie Louie beat. And so I love to do the frog. I You know, I have to say I'm, I'm really good at the frog. And... You know, take me out to the ball game. The the last notes drift off into the wind, and I'm used to dun 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 dun, dun and I get into frog position, ready to frog. Keep in mind, this is the second home game of the year. Second home no, game of the year. Most people there are not aware of what's about to transpire. Did not know anything about it, and it starts playing some some song I'd never heard before. Isn't it just "Can't Hold Us" by Macklemore? Yeah, but I've never heard that before. How would I? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that. What the hell do I do? Like sit around listening to Macklemore? I mean, I love the guy. He's super, super nice dude. But I don't. I'm not familiar with his entire canon. Probably a good dad. Oh, he's great. Uh, you know, his house is right there on uh, on uh, on Tenth Avenue East. It's not a deep cut. Let me say that. And he and I used to. We would. You know, we encountered each other quite a bit in the in the music community back before he was a megastar. Uh, I actually appear in the background in his uh, Posse's on Broadway track, whatever that one's called. How come you're not in Thrift Shop? That's for, that's more your brand. Well, and yeah, but he made it without without consulting me. <laughs> Although he does wear a Filson jacket in that, and I, I I was at the Filson store right around that time, and they said, "Get this. Here's some gossip." They said he came in. It's like a seven hundred dollar spill the tea, John eight hundred dollar jacket. They said he came in, bought the jacket, wore it in the video, and then. Return it. <gasps> and everybody at the old Filson store who are all a bunch of, you know, they all smelled like cigarettes because they were the old style of mountaineers who yeah. would like climb a mountain and smoke a pack of cigarettes. They were all just like, can you believe this guy? He's a millionaire. He probably has $1 million. And he <laughs> brought the jacket back. And I have to say, I was scandalized too. But he's not wow. wrong. It's never 20 below zero here. 
He doesn't technically need it. Is this now officially an anti-Macklemore podcast? No. But anyway, this music starts playing that is some kind of what I would have called fairly generic uh, hip-hop music. And I I turned to George and said, what in the H-E double hockey sticks is this? Did you you have two hockey sticks to wave, to hold up? I had them both. And I was... I, but I was in frog position, like ready to go. One hockey stick up, one hockey stick down. And George said, "I have no idea. I don't know what. I don't know what's going on." And George knew it was Macklemore, so he was like, "It's Macklemore." And maybe no, he George was. George gave me a Macklemore bobblehead once, so I think he might be a fan. He was at the show the day before oh, opening to, day. Stop calling it the show. <laughs> so he. Said, this is like my wife calling halftime intermission at a Super Bowl party. No, wait a minute. If is this go, intermission already? If you go from AAA ball to the majors, yeah, they say the you're show. going to That's the right. show. <laughs> right. But anyway. they don't. But they don't say how, how did you do in yesterday's show? <laughs> oh, I went three for four with an RBI. Anyway, George said they did it last night too. I don't know what it's about. That's what he said. Mm. And I was like, well, this is an outrage. And then I Did saw, you find your one cannot frog to, uh, to can't hold you us? You cannot frog to it. Oh, oh. And then all the shots of the crowd that were up on the big screen, everybody's going nuts. They all know the lyrics. They're all dancing to this Macklemore track. You're, you're like from the alternate universe where, where Macklemore never existed. And now you can rewrite all his songs. Well, and I, and I realized, oh, the other thing was... The, the crowd at the Mariners game was really young. I noticed it even just walking in and sitting down, like a lot of uh, millenniums and, and uh, younger people at the game. And so here's this track, and I, it was like, oh, my God, I felt so, I felt so old. Because I can't believe they didn't show grumpy people uh, yeah, re- reacting to it because there have been a lot of grumpy reactions. Well, because Louis Louis isn't even from my generation. No. It's some boomer song, but we really adopted it. Remember, it was a, it was going to be the Washington State song. It was, and, that, and that's about from the time frame that they uh, they, they added they, it. The, the Mariners added it because there was who was pushing for. Oh, it was uh, it was the almost live guy was really pushing for. Uh, right. What's his name? John. John uh, nice Curley. Guy. No, not John Curley. It, it is a K. John Kirkian. John John Kavorkian. John Kirkanorkanar. Um, John. Kitchener. It is John Curley, isn't it? No, that's very uh, close. Almost live with John Keister. How could we, we have failed to remember John Keister? Why do you associate the words Curley and Keister, John? Is there something you want to talk about? A curly keister is one of the things we used to call a soda pop. This is, this is going to be a very long agenda <laughs> show since now we're just free associating about sports. You but, know, I'm pretty good friends with Nancy Guppy, one of the old cast members of Almost Live. I've met her once and she was nice. Yeah, she has a television show on local access Is she the gardening TV. show? No, she has a show. It's kind of got, it's got music in it. Mm. Uh, but she just recently, I heard from a third party that she had gone out to... Um, the uh, the Vashon home of presidents of the United States of America singer Chris Ballou and it done like a and a teepeed it no she she did like a uh, like a hip hop cribs uh, segment of her show except <laughs> Va- it's like Chris Ballou's Vashon, Va- Vashon cabin. <laughs> there should be a Vashon cribs yeah, you Vashon see everybody's cribs. compost heaps. Anyway, so you were about to tell me why they're not doing Louie Louie and instead have chosen oh, no, the Macklemore. I don't, I don't even, I don't know. I think. Oh, they that, didn't make a press release about it. I, they got a lot of crap online. I think they're keeping a low profile. It, w- it really would be like the Red Sox replacing Sweet Caroline. It was very surprising. You know, at the end of uh, a Mariners game, when the Mariners win, they always play Hendricks. 
and it's never happened. Bow, it's bow. never come up. Bow, no, dum, dum. And the, the stadium has such good sound that it really rocks out. And, you know, I don't do the frog to Hendrix because I'm not a, I'm not a dope, but I do do a little air guitar every time. They didn't do it this, the, the game I saw because we lost badly. Let's see. Uh, it's just a VP of marketing saying, quote, we want to bring a new fresh energy to the ballpark. Oh my God, a VP of marketing. You could stop I mean, right there. I mean, it really is the, sure, all the olds love it, but how long is this funny? Yeah, well, and... It, but it does seem like not the right way to... To just do it. Like, how, like, like how many cool high schoolers are going to start going to the Mariners because they play uh, a 10-year-old Macklemore song once? I, I really do have to say that the crowd on the Jumbotron was into it. They were all dancing and, and, you know, and doing the raise the roof hands gesture. I guess they, I guess it came down to can't hold us for, or tequila, which has a long Huskies association. Right. But it could not be more different. This isn't the Huskies. Also, Louie Louie. It does. was fine. It does say they are monitoring negative reaction. Uh Uh-huh. So monitor this Mariners. I kind of want to complain online, but what if they stop sending me stuff? Here's my worry, John. What if the Mariners stop sending me stuff? Here's what I feel about that. (laughs) You have, there is zero trickle down of the Mariners sending you stuff to me. Okay. So you start complaining online. No, I have, I have virtual immunity. (laughs) I have zero interest in making myself a spectacle online, but this is the thing. You never seem to get free tickets to the Mariners, even though they would totally give them to you. And you could take your friends with you. I got tickets. When you don't know, your friends don't get free tickets, right? Yes, they do. I assume they were buying tickets. They do buy tickets, but every once in a while, the, the, the head office like like sets them up. Sets them up. And they would set you up because they like putting you on the television. Are they calling? Weren't you famously talking to Paul Simon at some point on no. the TV? We were there at some game he was at. Oh, that was Ben Gibbard. I was talking to Andy Richter. I was at that Paul Simon game. Ben was there. Ben was there. Are, and, they, and se- are they sending Ben tickets? Because Ben can afford tickets. He can, but they love it when he goes to games. The problem is he goes online and then talks massive smack about the Mariners lineup because he knows that much about well, it. Well, this is my problem. If I start complaining about how Yellow never wins the Hydro race or they changed Louie Louie. Right. What? Uh, what happens? Well, apparently Ben keeps getting tickets. Well, or at least he, at least they put him on the Jumbotron, but it was because he was talking to Paul Simon <laughs> and you were sitting with Andy Richter. We're going to a game tonight. Yes. And this will be the this will be the question. Do they put you on the jumbotron, even they, though you're sitting next to me? They never put me on the jumbotron when it's me and you or me and George. It's got to be you and it, it was one me and James fans. Holtzauer once they found us and put us on the jumbotron. Right, and it was Andy Richter once, and that's. But tonight, tonight, tonight is the night. Well, and George threw out the first pitch, so they should know about George. Sure. So maybe you and George. I'm going to sit in between you, see if I can get on the jumbotron. You need, what you need to do is go tell somebody. You need to be like, hey, uh, you should put. Hey, you know what? I'm sitting next to Ken. <laughs> you know, I caught a ball at the end of last season. Boo, I've never caught a ball. I caught a ball, and then I handed it to my daughter. Oh, yeah, I saw. Oh, you saw it on the Jumbotron? No, I was at that game. I, yeah. And then, uh, like, an hour later, she was talking to somebody, and she was like, oh, yeah, I caught a ball. And I was like, you didn't catch a ball. I caught a ball. But, you know, I didn't want to blow her cover, so I was like, yeah. She's, she's, am, I, am I remembering right? Wasn't that the game where I threw out the first pitch? 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's right. You were sitting next to us after the game. I was, the- yeah, I was looking down from my box, and then I came down and was like, did you actually catch that? Because yeah. it looked like you caught that. I did. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. My son w- my son was just dying, because he, he goes to games all the time never with a glove, a ball. and has never caught a And I ball. caught it barehanded. I was impressed. Whack. This is going to be a long agenda. Who cares? <laughs> who's, who's even listening? To, you know what? I closed out the whole thing because I forgot that we were still doing a show. You even closed down the recording software. We've just, been, we've just been talking to ourselves did. about I baseball did. for 20 minutes. I forgot that we were doing a show. That, that, that feels like a first. I don't know if I've ever actually forgotten we were doing a show. Entry 604.1J0210. Certificate number 37614, the Hudson Brothers. Apparently at this point, at some point in the show, you disparaged electronic music. What? A series of weird sounds with no, with a bunch of weird loops with no chord progressions or something. Well, I do have a thing about no chord progressions, Mm -hmm. but you know, I, I famously, um, when I talked about uh, music at the, what was it? When when we did a live show at Sketchfest and I talked about Ingve oh, Malmsteen, yeah. I got a lot of angry metalheads telling me I didn't know anything about about the Mixolydian scale. And at, then at least metalheads aren't gonna be violent. And then when we did KLF Burns a Million Dollars, I made some remarks about their music and a bunch of British electronic anarchists Wrote me angry letters about that. So, so your viewpoint now is that you like all songs in all genres equally, except for Can't Hold Us by Macklemore, <laughs> which you have never heard. <laughs> or, or you once tried to frog to. I'm not sure if you played Can't Hold Us by Macklemore right now, whether I would remember it from the other day. Does it have a hook? Mm, yeah, it's that Tonight is the Night song. Tonight's like, the night we make history. That's it. It's uh no, it's the like the city can't hold us. Oh, so it's a thing made to be played us. at sports stadiums. It sounds like it. Yeah. It sounds like it's Gary Glitter uh uh thrift shop volume two or and whatever. Every musician I think at that level is con and especially Macklemore, who owns part of every Seattle sports team. Yeah, now. he just bought some Kraken. Um I'm sure that every time he sits down to write a song, he's like, how do I get this played? How do I get the stadium money? That is such big dollars. Is that true? Do they have to pay per person attending? Well, I don't know about that, (laughs) but you know that song that Jack White did that gets used in all – I think that probably earns more money than his entire catalog. Uh, Michael or Mikkel, I can't remember. I apologize. uh, I am apologize. To you. Uh, He was the one that sent us the smooth jazz version of the uh, Omnibus theme, which sounds a little something like this. He uh, loves electronic music, and he wants wants you to listen to some examples of of, uh, electronic music that is not loop-based and has all kinds of narrative and sound and emotion and progression and musicality. Okay. Here we go. Let's listen to this is apparently called S- Killing Time by Synergy Sound. This is just piano jazz. This is just a Stevie Wonder record from the 70s. Now it's Herbie Hancock. It's still Stevie Wonder. Yeah, it's got a vocoder. Is that what makes it electronic? 
What if I just did some? If I scattered some kind of not well thought out first draft lyrics about my neighborhood, this would totally be a Stevie Wonder <laughs> song off of Inner Visions or Talking Book. So, I get that probably all of this is done in the box. It's all MIDI, but it's just trying to sound like jazz. Yeah, it's right? just trying to sound like Stevie Wonder. I mean, I feel like... Well, this like, is our uh, friend who wrote the smooth jazz version of the uh, song. Right. So Roy Ayers is, he's you think, know, virtual he, Roy Ayers. He, he's thinking you're disparaging all synth music oh. as being a... Whoop, 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 no, I love synthesizers. I have I have a stack of synthesizers that's as, uh, that's as tall as a bread box. It's as tall as a man. I didn't listen to this. Let's hear this. Break core and he 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 and then some kanji. I, I don't or and then some um, and then some Japanese letters. I don't know what this is. Should they play this at the sports stadium after the seventh inning stretch? Oh, hello. I don't know if I would send this as my example of a music with chord progressions. <laughs> this is video game music. I just leveled up. I'm gonna jump ahead to see if there's chords. It's definitely me trying every button on my Casio. Yep. That's fun. This is the music of the future. Sutigma versus N. Makes you want to dance. Makes you want to dance. It makes me want to sick my giant robots on each other in some kind of a, some kind of a illegal underground fighting ring. So there's a guy I follow on Twitter who was the drummer of a band from Boston called, or I'm sorry, from Rhode Island called Lightning Bolt. Uh, his Twitter handle is Chirpendale, sort of like Chippendales, except it's Chirpendale. It's Chirpendale. And he, uh, he was in Lightning Bolt, which was kind of a duo that was, I guess you would call it uh, electronica-ish. He's now also got a side project called Black Puss. Black Puss. Which I'm sorry to have to say. But he is a drummer and programmer who makes music that sounds fairly similar to that last track. Mm-hmm. Um, so I highly recommend that everybody go Listen check to out Black Puss. Check out Geezer's Butler. He just recently posted uh, a, uh, a video of himself playing the drums. Um, where uh, it's titled "How Not to Play a Beat," and highly recommended if you if you're ready to if you're ready to really blow blow your own mind. Are you ready to recant your judgment that electronic music is just is just uh, whirs and hums? I have to say that I do not agree that I ever said that. Okay, uh, but I also um, I also don't disagree. <laughs> but if I did say it, if I did say it, it was probably right and good. Entry one four three six dot pr one seven one two, certificate number five one zero two nine. Winnipeg, the bear. We have a couple corrections here, one for each of us. Uh, we mentioned the uh, I think it was A A Milne that was working for the British propaganda. Uh, service MI7 during World War II, and you said loose lips sink ships. Harold yeah. Harold points out that that is the uh, that's the American propaganda slogan. Oh, the British always said K 
careless talk costs lives. Not nearly as isn't, jazzy. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. This is the island of Shakespeare and Keats, and they can't even come up with loose lips sink ships. Careless talk costs lives. That's um that's the kind of thing where Don Draper goes back to the drawing board, I think. Yeah. You don't careless br- talk costs lives. You're not gonna bring that to Lucky Strike. We also, this is for me, Lindsay pointed out that I always say Salisbury wrong. You're supposed to say it like... Um, Salisbury? Yeah, you're, all, you're supposed to say it like uh, Peter Gabriel. Salisbury. Oh, Salisbury. Salisbury. And, and how do you say it? I don't know. I think I said Salisbury or something. Yeah, Sal- right. In, like, like the steak? It's like Gloucester. Exactly. It has seven other words in the middle, but it, that you don't acknowledge it's them. It's got a silent I. We also must have said that Gordonston, the... Um, the awful school where Prince, the Prince Philip liked so much that he sent Prince Charles there and Prince Groton? Charles hated it? No. H- hated it? It's the other one. Yeah. It, Gordonston. I guess we said it was in England and it's in fact in... Scotland. Moray, Scotland. We regret the air. I mean, I've been to Salisbury a couple of times, so it's kind of a bummer that I... Salisbury. That I said it wrong. Great Indian restaurant in Salisbury. There are great Indian restaurants all over the UK. I think it's like the best Indian meal I've ever had. Really? And and it was in a smaller, second-tier city. Sorry, Salisbury. I have to say that the worst Indian food I ever had was also in the UK. (laughs) I recommend Anoka in Salisbury. That's my hot tip. There you go. It's probably not around in the future. When in doubt, say every uh, UK name in Ringo Starr's voice. Does that help? Salisbury. Salisbury. Simply reading a blooming book. Entry 446.IS4804. Certificate number 22352. Eyebrows. I believe this was the episode where I drew your attention to these. Have you you still not seen these billboards in South Seattle um, recommending uh, a nearby truck stop or service station on the strength of like a, a lovely, um, I think on the show I said Lebanese-American woman. Do you, I did finally see the billboard you were referring to. You have to. seen the Shree's truck stop billboard? I have, and in fact, I have. I then redirected myself to Shree's truck stop. So you went. I did. Because it's, it's rare for a gas station to have billboards. It is, but she also advertises inexpensive gasoline. And she's got a lot else going on there. It's That's a very your favorite exciting, kind of gasoline. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a very exciting. It's I think we talked about the Shell station in uh, Georgetown having really good fried chicken, but her station off of ninety nine, or after off of five. It's not five oh nine. It's five. Well, you drive it every day. Well, I've seen it. I've seen the. Um, I've seen that billboard. You've never on, gotten off on marginal way, but I've never actually been to the. Well, Shree's there is, are there are multiple truck stops. I guess her yeah, family has long owned one in George Washington that flies the largest American flag in the state. I think I've seen that too. But this one is right there. You cross the First Avenue Bridge, and if you get off at that okay uh, that exit where everybody that's trying to get yeah. to West Seattle gets off, <laughs> the backs up. Uh, you can go to the left there. There's a McDonald's, and then Shree's. Is I right always there. stay in the left lane there. I know because it's a nightmare. Keep going. Even it's the carpool lane, but you stay over there, don't you? Uh, You're a scofflaw, John from White. No, I never get in that carpool lane, and I and I am annoyed when people do. Yeah, John of George of White Center says that he actually got a postcard advertising that new truck stop in the mail. 
And he had never seen a gas station advertised with postcards and billboards. It's on the way to White Center, so she knows her audience. And he sent us a link. Uh, apparently, she is, in fact, her family is Indian-American. Yeah. I, I miss okay. I misguessed that she was Middle Eastern. She was, in fact, born in the Punjab. Uh, she herself was. Yes, and she has a Wikipedia article about what a big deal uh, she is. There's a lot going on. She's, she's kind of wearing a nice... Um, She's wearing like a, a fancy outfit, but she's doing kind of a, a, a leaning back, looking off into the distance pose in front of a large American flag. Yes. And then in addition to the free fountain drink you can get by showing this card and the inexpensive gas, it also says radical inclusion, proud Indian American, uniting leadership, local woman and minority owned. Oh, this is. It's the, sorry, local woman and minority-owned business, comma, exceptionally low diesel and gas price provider. I see a picture of her where she is in front of the American flag and she's actually saluting. It must be a salute. Saluting the American flag. And the other side says, wow, brand new truck stop in Seattle. She has her own Wikipedia entry. It may be possibly... Self-written. She grew up in Moses Lake. Uh-huh. Which, uh, as any listener will know, is uh, it's very... Is it's in the middle of Washington. That's right. It's very near to Soap Lake, Washington, but much bigger. The dead center. Uh, for the first 12 years of her life, Siney's heartbeat had an average of just 20 beats a minute. Doctors told her she could never dance again. Who are we talking about now? Shri, the Indian-American beauty queen. She had a, a, a strangely... Low Low heartbeat. heartbeat. And then, uh, but persisted and practiced extra hours for years so she could dance again, despite her 20 beat a minute heartbeat. 20 beats a minute. Her heart beats once every three seconds. So here's a beat. Then it beats again. So. That's like what Batman learns to survive the Joker's um, uh, uh, drowning trap. Is it possible that she will be the first person to live to 200 years old? Quite possibly. If you measure, if you measure life in terms of heartbeats. She's been Miss World America 2021. Not Miss World or Miss America, but Miss World America, so probably better. Now, here's a... I'm reading now... A, well, not reading, but I'm looking at a website about Sri that's written in Vietnamese. Oh, interesting. She's reaching, uh, presumably reaching out to the local community. She has some awesome glamour photos where her hair, her hair is, which is enormous and fantastic. Her hair is being blown by a fan and backlit. Yeah. So what we pointed out was that it's very unusual to sell a truck stop based on the glamour of the owner, or in this case, kind of the, also the yas boss, immigrants get the job done, uh, slay queen, uh, cred of the owner, Mm -hmm. but also her, um, also her saluting and glamour shots. Later in life, she was involved in a major car accident in Moses Lake that resulted in her surviving facial bur- significant facial burns. Whoa. She was advised that recovery would take a year, but she returned to her classes after just two weeks. Shree's uh, Wikipedia entry has convinced me that she is a, super uh, a superhero. She's going to, she's going to join the, uh, the Justice League. Yeah, she has the ability to heal from wounds. She, uh, she has the ability to start a successful small business. She can be, she can minority owned, basically live underwater because her heart only beats once every three minutes. Um, wow. I, and also she's a freaking Miss World America, which a, is, wait a minute. What is that? Miss World America. It's, it's gotta be better than Miss World or Miss America. Cause it has them both combined. Yep. Yep. 
I'm with that. Anyway, so thank you, John, for sending us this background information on a truck stop that is even more fascinating than we knew, and a, and a great addition to our to our community here in South Seattle. Her teeth are so white. Entry 177.MT2324. Certificate number 37337. Camel beauty pageants. Did we or did we not mention... Somebody wrote us to say, why didn't you mention that the cavalry tried to introduce camels to the American West? But I thought we did. We did. Yeah, we talked about it that. It was like a Jefferson Davis joint, right? Yeah. Well, they tried to tried to use camels, and then the Civil War discredited camels. I mean, well, I mean, Jefferson Davis, uh, Secretary of War, probably a lot of his initiatives were uh, discredited by the Civil War. Camels are the one that he's most famous for. It's on his tombstone. Jefferson Davis tried to introduce camels to the United States of America, a country he loved unreservedly. Camel. 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 Tristan, a listener, lives not far from Camp Verde. That uh, means green in Spanish. Yeah, that means green camp in Spanish in really the middle of nowhere, South Central Texas. Not known for being green. He lives a few miles away from this encampment where the U.S. Army kept many of its camels originally. Cool. There's not much there now, but he sent us a picture of the sign that says, Site of Camp Verde establishes a frontier post frontier post by the U.S. Army, July 8th, 1855, headquarters in 1856 for 40 camels sent by Secretary of War Jefferson Davis to be used as a system of overland communication with the West, which proved impracticable. Surrendered to the Confederate government in 1861, <laughs> reoccupied in 1865 by the United States Army, Abandoned April first, eighteen sixty-nine. That's quite a sign. It's a it's an amazing historical marker erected by the state of Texas during the Depression. And there's a restaurant, post office, general store up the road that has lots of camel-related merchandise. Now, if I were Elon Musk, rather than buying Twitter, why would I not buy one million camels and set them loose in Texas? He's got he's got a network of satellites doing his telecommunications. Why not? Camels. Camels. I the mean, Camel Express. Jefferson Davis. Uh, uh, kind also of the, a South African. Kind of the Elon Musk of his day, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Now, it would, be, it would be fun to be a billionaire and do the thing where you introduce wild animals to sort of like European starlings, except Siberian tigers. Like... All the people up in Idaho are so mad about wolves, but what if you reintroduced, and by re, I mean introduced, Siberian tigers to Idaho? What better reason to be a billionaire than to do audacious things? Somebody else sent us in a great Pacific Northwest example of megafauna. I guess they've discovered a saber-toothed salmon? Did you see this? What? Why would a salmon need saber teeth? Uh, they said uh, the speculation is it would build its nests. Because, of course, the saber tooth salmon has a nest. <laughs> isn't, isn't this a, uh, the, the weirdest example of like... Mating displays, fighting, and building reds, a.k.a. nesting sites. When, when uh, species independently evolve certain traits... Yeah. Is it possible that saber-toothness is a thing that multiple different 
Sure. Uh, animals would have... You, you can see how fit you, we would all be if we had giant teeth outside our mouth curving back on themselves. Think how much better our lives would be. What are other animals besides a tiger and a salmon that have saber teeth? Well, you got Walrus. your... You got your... You got your saber tooth chameleon. Okay. Your saber tooth sapsucker. Sure. I think all animals could come in a cool saber tooth variant. Uh, That's not even its final form. <laughs> the saber tooth salmon lived eight... Eight, uh, got up to eight feet long and lived five million years ago. So it's probably too late to catch one. Eight feet long, saber-toothed salmon. This was oh, this was Kurt, the guy we chatted with. Why are saber-toothed salmon not the mascot yes, of our local soccer the, team? That should be the state fossil of Washington or whatever. We got another note. This is on a more somber uh, note. Michael sent us a clipping. From when was this? Sabretooth salmon are ridiculous looking BTW. <laughs> From last month about a Tennessee petting zoo that had had multiple um, inspections from the state and U.S. Department of Agriculture about how the camels and zebra didn't really have access to clean water. Mm. The public were like petting and feeding them without any employees present. Mm. The, there's only a barrier between the humans, between uh zoo-goers and primates, but not for any zebras, camels, llamas, alpacas, goats, sheep, pigs, deer, kangaroos, zebu, rabbits, cavi, and prairie dogs. There's only one attendant who's a cashier who cannot see the animals at any time. So there's been plenty of warnings that something could go wrong. And sure enough, last month in early 2022, a camel escaped from this Tennessee petting zoo and killed two people. <gasps> what? The camel then the animal re remained aggressive when county authorities show up, attacking a sheriff's office vehicle then moving toward the deputies that were trying to um, give, you know, take the victims to, um, to EMTs. It was at this time officers had to put the camel down. A murder camel. A, a murder camel at a, at a petting zoo. So you have to wonder how many of these roadside petting zoos are really just ticking time bombs because of their bad animal care. I went to the one that had tigers out behind the in gas Squim? station. No, no, down in... The Southwest, down in New Mexico, oh, somewhere. I haven't been. It was a gas station, and then you go around behind it, and there are these cages that aren't any bigger than ten by ten, and it had ti white tigers. I mean, sitting in the sun. I guess one reason to move to a red state is you can see unregulated uh, exotic animals at badly run zoos and gas stations. Shree Shree Shiny would never. No, right? No, no, no. She's uh, she's about running inclusive gas stations. But not inclusive of white tigers, Siberian tigers. No, she's all about free fountain drinks and cheap diesel. Yes, and not about animal cruelty. Thank you, Shri. We dedicate this show to Shri. Uh, we really should try to get Shri's truck stop to sponsor Omnibus. Am I wrong? Yeah. Why don't you send her an email? We also heard from Rob, who I think grew up in um, possibly in a petting zoo. In a petting zoo? No, in North Africa. I went to high school in Tunisia. Um, stepfather born in a cave to Bedouin Tunisian parents. Steve's right. been to all the the Star Wars sets and really not connected. Um, and really sent one of a no. Oh, oh it's in Tunisia. It's in Tunisia. It's in, I see. And he's been to all the Star Wars sets <laughs> in Pinewood Studios. Uh, I thought it was like he's been to Disney World. He's been to Disneyland. And to be fair, R Rob did send us one of these letters where it's like, "This is the topic I know intimately," and um. 
uh, this is all wrong, all wrong. Oh, you can't say Dubai is near Morocco. And I was like, buddy, I'm pretty sure we don't think Dubai is near Morocco. Did we? We never said that. No, Not I think a billion I years. think it's the kind of thing where there's a lot of conversational hopping. Um, and he was taking notes, angry notes, angry, and he and, got lost. And also, just kind of the shorthand of say, you know, of him saying, you know, why would you call these Arab countries the Berber indigenous people? You know. Just, you know, using the kind of shorthand for the Middle East that is not accurate. Anyway, he went to high school in Tunisia and has ridden on camels and has testimonials that they are huge and disgusting beasts who eat each other asses. <gasps> each eat, wait, that's not right. Who eat each other's asses. His brother and him used to call the two camels they knew best, Butt Muncher 1 and Butt Muncher 2. Wow, Butt Muncher 1 and Butt Muncher 2. I mean, that's an insult you would use a lot in an American high school, but not literally... To refer to for for butt munching camels, somebody munching their friend's butt. I don't want to be, I'm like I want to be sex positive about these camels, but that's not something I want to see. To be honest, camels, in my experience, are best seen out the window of a moving bus as they are kind of distant in the desert because they're very romantic. Then you can't smell them. Yeah, and also they will not they uh, spit on They your... will not get angry about their petting zoo mistreatment and murder you. They will not murder you. They will not. Uh, if if they're munching butts, you can imagine that it's just a trick of perspective. You can't even tell. Kind of the trick of perspective that allows one to see Dubai from Morocco. Entry seven nine one dot is four two zero nine. Certificate number 23054, Minitel. Rob also had some notes on Minitel because when he was studying high school French in Corvallis, Oregon, I guess his adventures adventures took him from... Tunisia to Corvallis? He must have gone the other way around because he said he went to high school in Tunisia. He must have gone to junior high in Corvallis. Well, wait, except... And then moved back to Tunisia. Except by... His father was born in a Berber cave. His stepfather was born in a Bedouin cave. So, oh. so maybe it was a uh, a later fam- blended family that took him to the butt munching wastes of Tunisia. Rob, I'm sorry for getting your bio wrong. He's going to be mad. I thought when you said that he had one of those uh, one of those um, things where he was complaining um, about us getting it wrong that he. That he that those were actually suggestions that he had for shows. <laughs> I want you to do a show about my dad and about how Dubai is close to Morocco. Do a show about the distance between Dubai and Morocco. Hint, it's a lot. Uh, no, he uh, he has testimonials supporting our stories about the TGV, about long distance phone booths. Uh, but he. He's seen them all. He actually went to a French class in the late 80s in Corvallis where the language learning videos he was watching, which were subsidized by the French government, actually taught you about Minitel. And he and his friends loved it because there was like a, a very attractive woman who was the lead, who was, you know, the, the girlfriend in most of the videos. Uh, and sometimes she was not uh, dressed in, hmm. you know, a, a super uh, mm-hmm. uh, covered manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sent me a link to one of the French in action videos in which she and her boyfriend look into buying, they're, they're kind of dressed like yuppies and they're going to their Minitel to buy tickets to the new Eric Romer movie. Mm-hmm. And there's some compli- there's some hilarity that ensues when her boyfriend takes the title of the movie literally and doesn't know what she's inviting him to. But it's very funny. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you would sit in French class watching this yuppie French couple try to navigate, buy movie tickets on their Minitel. Uh, so that was a great cultural artifact that Rob sent over. 
Uh, Jessica actually points out she was an early Minitel user because she grew up in France. And she pointed out that really all you could do for free on a Minitel was look at the at the directory listings. The phone book. Almost every other service was a pay service. Oh. So even if you were just trying to buy train, you'd, you know, you'd think the travel agency would want you to help you buy train tickets or the movie theater or would help you buy movie tickets. But in fact, those were all 900 numbers. You'd have to make the, uh, oh. the equivalent of a pay call to use any, you'd have to dial 3615, which was, you know, kind of a 900 pay by the minute number. And then, so parents were actually always insisting to them that they would not use the Minitel. I see. Except to look up phone numbers. And all these t- all the TV shows in France at the time would have associated uh, Minitel sites, like, you know, where they'd Call be, 999. Right. 2626. Two, and there was lots of this kind of sexy chat, too. But it was really just kind of like, I remember this in the U.S. where you'd be watching... Um, you know, a He-Man cartoon or reading a Spider-Man comic, and in the back it would be like, make sure to call this number for your Spider-Man tip of the day. Right. Or, or you know... Uh, this number for... Oh, they might be giants. Yeah, exactly. It would be like that. It would be like, Debbie Gibson wants you to call this number, and you'll hear some awesome new music and find out what Debbie's up to. Uh, it was essentially that. So all her, some of her friends were allowed to call these numbers. Oh, I get it. And she was very jealous that, you know, you could you could play the game or sign up for the thing. Because yeah, that their parents weren't so cheap. Jessica's family didn't let them use the Minitel. Somebody, I think, um, I think it was Rob who sent us a link to a recent story about how all the Minitels ended up in a landfill. Oh. Not unlike the Apple Lisa computer, or as we'll see in an upcoming episode, the E.T. video game. Mm-hmm. So the French had a, you know, and this is more recent. This would have been in the 2010s when all the... The Minitels got dumped into a hole. Because everybody had a million and... Maybe in Tunisia. <laughs> possibly. That's why that hole where Luke, uh, Luke Skywalker and Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen live yeah. is now just full of Minitels. <laughs> and a camel can just walk right over to it if it sees an appetizing camel butt in the distance. Now let me ask uh, uh, for some clarification. Was Rob's stepfather... A Bedouin born in a Bedouin cave born, or a Berber born in a Bedouin cave? Well, he says born to Bedouin parents. So okay. I think even though he's sticking up for the Berber as the indigenous people and not to be conflated with right, post-colonial, the, post-Arabization. But the Bedouins Tunisia. are also colonists. The Bedouins aren't native to North Africa. They they came rolling in from Arabia. Rolling in like a Sirocco. Yeah. Like a Scirocco. So wait, so the Bedouins are not indigenous. No, the Bedouins. I mean, the, they're indigenous somewhere. Everybody's indigenous somewhere. The Berbers are from North Africa. The Bedouin are, they roamed there because, of course, they're roamers. They roamed. Like the Eric Romer movie that you can buy tickets to on your Minitel? The very same. It all comes together. Mm-hmm. One final note on the Minitel comes from Will who says that the French were doing ambitious, failed French telecommunications projects long before Minitel. Oh, what were some others? Have you heard... This semaphores? Should, this should maybe be its own omnibus. Have you heard of the sh- the Napoleon-era Shap Semaphore Optical Telegraph? Oh, it was semaphores. It's essentially like a guard tower that has a big kind of oil derrick-looking swastika-shaped arm that can be made to do semaphore alphabet signals, but at a big enough scale that you can see it from the next tower... Uh, you know, however many, 10 miles away. So it's like setting... It can't be 10 miles. <laughs> oh, like, I see. That's the length of the, that's the length of the whole route. So, you know, a few, uh, a mile down the road, there's another tower that can see the... So instead of one guy with a flag, 
it's a big giant armature doing the semaphore alphabet. Is it uh, was it something for armies or was it a thing where it was just like Robespierre it's uh, has got a new message for all the citizens. I'm not sure if it was ever adopted for either. It definitely was a, you know, uh, a kind of a French Revolution era adoption of here's the new tech for the age of enlightenment. Right, proto proto uh And in fact it was inve- and in fact it was invented by an abbot who had lost his his uh lost his, a bet. No, in the French Revolution, he had lost his clericdom. Oh, sure. That they, can't be the word. They stole all his, uh, all he was, his silver and he gold. He was decassocked. Yeah. Um, Jean Valjean stole all his silver, and as a result, he decided to invent a giant um, visual telegra- it optical does telegraph seem like machine. like it could work. I think Napoleon uh, adopted it for military usage, it looks like. This actually could be an omnibus. So, Addenda listeners are hearing a possibly a preview of what's to come. Entry 1187.EC0409, certificate number 26170. Solidarność. Did we talk about the way to pronounce Lech Valencia's name? Yes. And whether or not we got it right or not, I do not know. William wants us to know. William. (laughs) He's got that great Czech name, William. Uh, he, William is not a native Polish speaker, but he took a history of communism class. Oh, that's all we need. Tell, a, tell us about our pronunciations. I've not taken Polish pronunciation from a guy named William Robertson. No, except he's right. What does he say? Wałęsa. Oh, Wałęsa. So the S is kind of nasal. The S has a weird thing on it, which makes it nasalized. So it sounds to us more like Ensa than Essa. Lech Walensha. It's definitely got the Lech. And the Lech weird thing is the Walen- L has the stroke through it. Yeah. Which makes it a wuh sound. Lek wawensa. No. Lek wawensa. Now you sound like Elmer Fudd. Lek wawempa. Lek wawabit? Lek ruby? Vawensa. Lek wawensa. So none of the co- consonants sound what, how they should sound. Right. The CH Lech is not. The, the L does. The CH is not a ch, it's a ch. The W is not a wuh, it's a v. The L is not a l, it's a wuh. Mm-hmm. And the S is not a S, it's a S. N-sa. Why can't we all n-sa, 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 just n-sa. get along? Like the city can't hold us. So, uh, yeah, and I should have known this. I had a Polish friend in high school named Milos, except right. it wasn't Milos. They all had a stroke. So it was, they all had a stroke and, di- and died. Because <laughs> sometimes when you have a stroke, you can't say words. You can't say the letters right anymore, and L might sound like a W. So it was Miłosz. It was Miłosz. And in fact, the great Nobel Polish poet... Czesła Miłosz yes. pronounces it not like Miłosz, but by Miłosz. But you sound like Elmer Fudd if you say it like that. So you really have to have a lot of a lot of confidence. Yeah, right. I mean, it's we're we're sort of, I don't know, weirdly back to like, do you say Budapest? Do you say Praga? I don't know. How do they pronounce John Roderick? I don't think anyone in Japan can probably say my name. It never comes up. <laughs> oh, I've been saying it wrong. It's not the city can't hold us. It's the ceiling can't hold us. But that doesn't even make sense. Oh, why would the ceiling hold the you? The floor holds you, Macklemore. Do you not even know how a house works? Maybe he means that we're, we're already flying so high, uh, we touch the sky like a dragonfly. Well, the full lyric is we put our hands up like the ceiling can't hold us. But putting your hands up does not express any ability, any... Uh, 
Mm-hmm. What, a detention on your part by the ceiling? You know what I say to that? And now it's time for our Esowit update. What's going on in Esowit elephant land, Ken? Well, I have not been to Nairobi recently. Yet. But I do have an update from the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust in Nairobi. Uh, our baby elephant, Esowit, is still good friends with Kinye, despite not playing as much as before. Oh, well, they're growing up, you know. They have other things to think about. It seems like maybe Kinye is kind of move, is kind of growing apart because he's taken on the new role of being one of the nan... Oh, she? Sorry. She has taken on one of the new role of being one of the nannies of the nursery herd. So she's not always free to wrestle with her old friends. Well, sure. And as such, she does not spend as much time with us. That's always, that's always sad when a friend kind of moves on. Yeah, it's a little sad. But, you know, I think that kids play easily together when they're young and then they start to get, you know, there's a little bit of separating and as kids figure out, you know, their sort of gender uh, identities, you have a tendency to separate by that. Isn't there a recent like Disney or Pixar movie where the point is, yes, your friends will move away and that's okay. Friends will move away, and that's okay. What, is that Toy Story 4? I it's can't Toy remember. Toy Story 3. They move away into an incinerator. <laughs> no, that's not <laughs> what I'm talking about. I think it might be Toy Story 4, but they really doubled down on Instead of like, yes, we'll be friends forever, They really, it really kind of ends like, this is yet another sign of my theory that these movies are for just middle-aged parents. Yeah. Because the movies are all about, yep, your friends will move on, and that's just how life is. Sometimes you can do that. That's friends. just how life is. But look, here's good news from March 20th. Today, however, they spent most of their morning together, Esowit and Kenya, keeping wonderful. each other company in the forest and browsing near each one another. From the moment they got up, they were side by side. Oh, that makes me so happy. I hope they still keep having these moments. Yeah, there's still a lot of love there. Later in the day, once back in the forest, they even engaged each other in a wrestling match. Esowit loves to wrestle, and most days he will look for an opponent. Today, he was so happy to be able to challenge his old friend. Their game continued for a couple of minutes before it was abruptly interrupted by Olorian, who came to separate them both. Oh, Olorian, a little bit of a peacemaker, busybody. Yeah, maybe, except they're having a fun game, and here comes this loser named after a a Silmarillion character. Maybe Olorian is uh, a little jealous. Maybe there's a little bit of a love thing there. But Olorian now stood in the way, so Esmet went off to challenge Rojo and Bondeni, who were wrestling nearby. Once all the games finished, the orphans enjoyed a wonderful, quiet afternoon browsing in the forest. That's a nice update. It's idyllic. I mean, obviously, the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust is incentivized to present... A, a really Edenic view of elephant life. But well, I, I believe this. I mean, the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust knows there has been a lot of sadness in elephant and elephant times. And in, and in the world at large. That's why they're there. We should do an omnibus on the Sheldricks. The, uh, we had a Dave uh, emailed me recently because he and his wife are celebrating their ivory wedding anniversary, whatever that is. Whoa, that seems like a weird thing to do at an elephant sanctuary. And he was looking for an elephant to kill. No, he, <laughs> for, in, instead of giving an ivory gift for an ivory anniversary, let's see, what is that? That is the 14th. He bought her a vintage piano. He wanted to donate to an elephant uh, Even non-profit. better, look at him flip the script. So we, that's, I thought it was pretty smart. And he wanted to know, to be reminded of what the ESO outfit is. And it's the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust in Kenya. And they seem lovely. Uh, so, Esawit, if you're 
if you're listening, thank you for all your fun with uh, Kinye and Rojo and the gang. Not Alorian, who seems like a bit of a killjoy. Thank mm. you for not munching anybody's butt like some other mm-hmm. some other ruminants I could name. Mm-hmm. I bet they actually spray each other's butts in a in a in a in a clean way. The elephant is nature's bidet. Yeah, it's they, nature's hello tushy. They do a little bit of a what did you call it? A schmooge. A, uh, a spooge. A, I did not say spooge. A spume. A spume. And once again, that's an episode that will come out in June. And that concludes Omnibus Addenda, Volume 30. Futurelings, we thank you for your financial pledges that have made this monumental project possible. We hope that access to these important addenda items has validated your decision to support the Omnibus. It is vitally important that you attach these updates to the original recordings you discovered in their proper context for the convenience of future browsing by your civilization. We hope that our civilization survives long enough for us to provide you with future addenda to the Omnibus.